Hello everyone and welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. Looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host Ryan and joining me this week is my guest co-host Travis. How's it going Travis? Hey Ryan, doing well. Thanks for having me this week. Yes, welcome back to the show. I know you were on uh, not too long ago. Uh, I I shouldn't even bring it up because I didn't look it up ahead of time. But I believe it was this year. It was this year. I was I was trying to remember when it was actually earlier. Maybe somewhere February, March time frame. Maybe a little earlier. But it was. I believe it was pretty early this year. You know what? It was Elden Ring related. <laughs> it's always Elden Ring related, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to get back to that game. I know. I um, I'm saying that as the biggest Zelda game since the launch of the Switch is 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 arriving in just a few short days. Um, so I will get back to it in June, probably, <laughs> or late May. Stick with our open world theme for this episode. Yes, yeah, we've got a, a good chunk of games to talk about uh, on this episode, and Travis has uh, has brought a few favorites along. And um, you know what? Let's start with uh, let's start with Ghostwire Tokyo, which is a game that um, we talked about. Uh, just under a year ago, Jocelyn picked it up on PlayStation 5. As most people know or remember, uh, it was exclusive uh, console-wise and service-wise. It was exclusive to the PlayStation uh, console-wise. And then uh, it was out on PC, but it was not on Game Pass, any Game Pass, even though it was technically owned by Microsoft. So that was a deal that uh, Sony and Bethesda had worked out. Obviously, fast forward a year, that's changed. It's on Game Pass. It's on Xbox. Um, but you and I, we did not play it on Xbox uh, or Game Pass. We we both played it on PlayStation 5 using the PlayStation Plus Plus program, which I think is referred to as PlayStation Plus Extra. Extra, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. It's Plus Plus. That's I don't know. I always go with Plus Plus. That's I think it's always the best because it reminds me of my of my programming days it just sounds like a programming uh, language <laughs> ps plus plus <laughs> yeah you know uh but yeah we we i think you finished the game right like you finished it i did i finished it uh, a few days ago actually and then um to spend another day or so doing some cleanup for the the platinum um which that's one of the uh not to start off with complaints but there are definitely way too many collectibles uh, and things like that in this game. Um, but I really enjoyed it overall. And I, I guess just for context, kind of how I got into it, like you said, came out about a year ago. So the timing is a little strange. Um, but I was actually in Tokyo um, in a little bit at the end of March and April. And I came back and saw that it had been added to plus plus, And I was just feeling like, you know, I really miss Japan. Um, this is just a great opportunity for me to get back into that environment, however, um, virtually. And uh, so I just thought, you know, this would be a great time. Hop back in and check it out. Um, and I, I really enjoyed my time with it, um, collectibles aside. Um, but what, uh, what did you think? How far through it have you gotten so far? Yeah, so I am, I think, pretty deep into chapter two of the game. Um, chapter one's pretty short. It's kind of like a, more mm-hmm. of a prologue. Uh, I can't remember if there's an actual prologue as well. But um, yeah, I'm I'm somewhat through chapter two. And I think we were talking earlier this week about how far to kind of get in the game to to add to the conversation. And you had said, you know, chapter one and two kind of give you the bulk of the the introductory powers before you start upgrading them, of course, because man, that skill tree is 
There's a lot in there. <laughs> There's quite a few. And they just added to it as well. Um, with Spider's Thread, I think it's called. Spider's Thread Update or something like that. Uh, right around the time that it moved to Plus Plus, um, they also did... I, I, I've been calling it DLC, but I, it's like free content that they've added on. Um, so the, tr- the skill tree has actually expanded a little bit um, beyond what it was originally. And I can't tell you how much. Um, all I know is that there's a trophy for getting all of the skills from the base game and a separate one from getting all of the upgrade ones. But from the, for the life of me, I could not tell which skills were associated with the base game and which were from Spider's Thread. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty expensive tree for sure. Right. So is it all in there, like, if you're playing the base game? It is, yeah. So there's the only thing different about it, and it, it's all seamlessly sewn right into the experience, um, with the exception of... There's, I think it might just be called Spider's Thread Mode, um, but it's basically a gauntlet mode, and I did not play that. Um, but I think it's 30, there's a possible 120 or 130 floors or rooms, and you get through, you have to go through 30 of them that are randomly generated or randomly selected. And that kind of thing, um, you know, that that's cool. I see the appeal to it if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, for me at that point, whenever I hit that stage in a game, I'm pretty much ready to just move on and play something new. So I didn't get into into that, um, but all of the extra content, the side quests, and everything—it's um, not sealed off in a separate area of the game. Um, so if you haven't played the the base game prior, uh, like me, uh, as someone who didn't play it prior, I had a really difficult time determining what was new um, and, and what was part of the original game. So it all just—I um, mean, again, knowing that I was going for the platinum, since I was enjoying the experience. Um, I knew I pretty much had to do everything anyway, um, so it, it didn't really matter. But I did appreciate that they did um, they did a nice job not really segregating anything um, and how it all just flowed together pretty nicely, in my opinion. Cool. Yeah. No. I I did notice like once you hit chapter two and start to unlock uh, their version of the Ubisoft towers, which are the uh, <laughs> right? the, the Tory gates, I think they're called. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you cleanse them. Uh, they're infected with this like fog of some kind. Uh, and um, once you start cleansing those Tory gates, uh, you, you do start to unlock a lot of side quests and they are, uh, they're kind of like, so all the side quests that I've done are sort of fetch quests for ghosts, right? Would that feel like an appropriate, uh, at least early game, maybe they change it up later on, but it, it really felt like, Go do this thing to resolve this ghost's un, um, unfinished business. You know, the the classic, the ghost is hanging around because uh, he or she has unfinished business, right? Yeah, they vary a little bit as far as length and, and how in-depth they get. But for the most part, it's they're all pretty short. Uh, there are, I don't know, maybe five of them that are a bit longer. Um, I, I don't have a count or anything, but... Um, yeah, I would say five, maybe half a dozen that are a little bit more involved, but they all kind of, all of the side quests involve going, you find a spirit and help it do a thing. Um, sometimes one of them is as simple as like, it's a guy in a bathroom that you have to go fetch toilet paper for, um, to, to anything more complicated as like finding out who killed this person or finding where this person died and setting things right with whatever happened to cause their death. Um, so it could be things like that. Uh, and then there's also more 
I guess in a game, like I think horizon would call them tasks, like the, the kind of like really minor side quests, um, that are all yokai related uh, yokai being, um, like ghosts and, and only demons from, uh, Japanese folklore where there's these different, different types of ghosts that get marked on your map and you have to, you have to find them, catch them or save them from something. Um, but like every, so like one of them, for example, is, um, the Koldama. Koldama are, uh, Japanese tree spirits. And there are maybe half a dozen or 10 of these Koldama quests. And all of them involve, you find this thing on the map, um, and it's being attacked by other ghosts. So it'll go and hide in a tree. You have to fend off the ghosts. And then, um, the Koldama comes out and gives you, uh, Magatama, I think, which is something that you use to unlock things in the skill tree. Um, so in addition to your skill points, there are certain like roadblocks where you have to have collected so many of these things to unlock the ability to get to the next skill. Um, so those are your, the Yokai quests, which are in addition to the standard side quests, which are then of course, in addition to the MSQ, um, main story quests. So really going through all of that, uh, as I'm listening to myself talk, it's just an open world game uh, is, you know, it's, it's the typical Ubisoft, um, you know, map fatigue, many icons, lots of stuff to do, or just stick with the main quest. If that's how you want to play the game um, type game to me, what really set it off, there were two things that set it apart. One is just the fact that it's first person. And I feel like many of these games are in third. Um, so that was a different experience for me. Uh, and otherwise it's just the flavor, which is, I think is the main reason to play a game like this. Um, the, the flavor getting into being in, in Japan, being in Tokyo, in, in Shibuya, and just being able to experience, um, albeit a slightly different version of that city, um, being that it's, it's empty save for the ghosts, um, and, and seeing some of the yokai and, uh, other Japanese folklore characters. Um, so that's the, uh, the flavor to me, you know, like I said, that's, that's kind of what drew me in just to get back into that and, and have that experience, which is something I haven't really dealt with in, um, in games before. So that was kind of my, I guess my summary of the gameplay loop is go from one icon to another doing side quests or main story, whatever, whatever floats your boat at the time, uh, progressing things until you make your way to the end. So mm -hmm. I don't know how, how are you playing? So I, as someone that was going for the platinum, um, not to keep bringing that up, but it really influenced the way that I played this game. Um, so I was doing, you know, you go around and like you said, you cleanse the Tori gate and then that, populates other icons on the map. So as I'm kind of going through doing that, uh, I'm focusing on doing a lot of the side quests and catching yokai and things like that, which drew me away from the main story a little bit. Um, as you've been playing, have you stuck more toward the main quest line or have you been jumping around or what's been your play style going through it? Uh, yeah, I, I think once, once the game sort of opened up a bit, cause it does have that, um, that open world feel both good and bad in the sense of as it opens up, there's a lot of options and uh, it, it also has um, I don't know if, I don't know if Jocelyn talked about this a year ago or, or if she got this far, but like at least when we were talking about it on the show, if she got that far, but there's this point at which you realize the whole point of the story is they've kind of locked down a portion of, uh, of Tokyo and everybody within that portion has has been killed 
at least this is the setup their their souls have been ripped from their bodies their bodies have disappeared like there's just a bunch of clothes laying around but there are a lot of like these spirits um there's an idea that you can save the spirits by by trapping them uh in a in like a i think a paper sort of i don't know the proper name for it but there's like this paper figure that you can use to trap the spirits then you take that take that yeah, that paper figure to a to a telephone booth and you can transfer this the spirits out of the 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 bubble and then something is ha- we don't see it but we're told that something's happening on the outside of the bubble that is bringing these people back to life do i have that correct like that's that was my understanding at the beginning of the game yeah so there's the 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 high view story explanation is there there's a villain who has motivation to break down the barrier between the real world and the spirit world. Uh, And I I don't want to get too far into it uh, depending on how the conversation goes, but that's kind of the setup. So that's the, uh, it's, it's a bit of a cold open where um, the game opens with a spirit who is sort of flying over Shibuya and there's I believe it's a car accident is happening and that's how you meet your, your sort of main character. And what's happened is everyone has recently, or like we're in the process of basically like a, a rapture type situation where everyone there is is either dying or disappeared. Um, and this spirit is the spirit of someone who has already been affected by this. And he's looking for a new body um, so that he can try to get back in the game and, uh, and, and find out what happens and, and how to, how to deal, deal with the situation. What we find out is this is the spirit who goes by the name KK in the game. Um, he possesses, uh, he in real life was a detective, um, possesses the body of our main character, Akido, and the two of them kind of work together to solve the mystery of what's going on in, uh, in Shibuya with all these uh, spirits who have now come into the city and replaced all of the, um, all of the regular people who previously lived here or were visiting. Mm, yeah so i i guess um i I forgot my original point before and i i kind of picked it back up but that's a really good explanation of like the story but um the reason i think that uh the reason i'm playing it i'm kind of when i was playing i was mainlining sort of the main quest and trying not to get caught up in the side quest because there's this age-old open world issue of like there's so much to do but the Mm. story is is clearly telling you to hurry up down the main path because you have to save your sister who's been kidnapped by the bad guys. Uh, and the bad guys, of course, are doing very bad things, trying to break down the 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 barrier between the realms. And you do see the spirit realm starting to come through, especially in this bubble, um, with all the, you know, the traditional ghosts and such and spirits coming, coming forward. So uh, to me... And I'm sure as Jocelyn was playing it as well, probably felt like, well, I I can't help this guy out. I've got a I've, I've got a, you know, critical path this or at least not venture too far off the path. Now, obviously, you get rewards and and um, as you mentioned, the the green gems that allow you to unlock sort certain barriers within the skill tree to get to get more powerful versions or upgrades. Uh, but yeah, I was I was kind of mainlining the story. And then there were a couple of quests um along the way uh i think one of them was uh one of them that i did was really cool uh actually there was two side quests that kind of stood out to me the one that i did that was on the critical path was uh was saving a boy 
who who couldn't move. It was a spirit. Everyone you encounter in the game is either a bad guy or or a spirit, uh, a, a good person that's been trapped in the spirit form. And this boy is like can't move and and realizes that his something has been taken by a by a kappa demon or something. Mm. And um, you have to you know set a piece of cucumber on this like pedestal and then you have to hide behind the statue while using your ghost senses there that's one of your abilities is that you can do like a ping that will kind of show the outlines of you know the enemies and such so you can kind of see through the statue and you kind of have to hide from this this uh this ghost the spirit for as long as you can until it gets distracted by the cucumber and then you can go in and um uh cleanse it so that was a neat quest it is. And that's, that's a good example of, like I had mentioned the Koldama earlier. Um, a kappa, kappa is a type of yokai. They love cucumbers. And that's one of those sort of repeatable quests is like not every zone, but you'll find there's probably half a dozen or 10, I don't know, Kappa that you have to do, <clears throat> excuse me, that you have to find in, uh, use the place, the cucumber, hide behind a pillar, use loot vision to see it, um, kind of, mechanic um so that that's a good example of one of the repeatable yokai quests that i was talking about so right um yeah those are those are fun for sure and i <laughs> i i wish i had to use that as an example rather than the kodama now after hearing you explain yeah. it it's a little simpler and more interesting it, it was short you're right it was super short now a longer one that i did that was really interesting uh was trying to find so an older woman was missing um at the time, it sounded like it was just uh, a person that was missing, but it turns out it was uh, another uh, yokai or or spirit. And I'm, I can't remember for the life of me what it was named, but um, it was missing. And it, it turns out it was like a luck spirit. And it was kidnapped by the landlord of this old lady because the old lady wouldn't wouldn't share the 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 spirit. So the, so the landlord um, stole it. So you had to go in and find it. And in order to find it, you you hear the cries of the of the spirit, and in order to find it, you have to like search through the apartment to find what appears to be like a. You're looking for clues, and you end up finding like what is a layout of the apartment, and you realize oh, there's yes. a hidden room. So you have to go to the hidden room and open the door, and then and then uh, you have to fight. Or no, yeah, that was the first cleanse puzzle I did. You had to cleanse the the landlord who was an evil demon or evil spirit. He'd, he'd been corrupted by what was going on. And uh, I really liked that one because then like the ghost inside you is like, okay, so you're going to give us some luck lady. And, and uh, the old lady's like, did you not learn anything? Like the whole reason I asked for your help was because the last guy was greedy and stole the ghost. So anyway, we're like, oh, don't mind him. He's just, he's a big mouth. So it was, uh, it was another good one. It was, it was fun because it required you to kind of explore a little bit and, and do some puzzle solving too. Did um you're, now that you're saying this, this has reminded me of another one. Did you do the hoarder house yet? Uh no, I don't think so. Not yet. It's it's a similar explore the um, explore the house type situation, but it's um you know I mean self explanatory. It's it's a hoarder house, so there's lots of stuff um, piled up that you kind of have to go through and search around, and it's it's neat. Um, yeah, I've it's the quests are are fun and generally short, which which I appreciate. Um, I don't know. I really enjoyed the game overall. I, I have mixed feelings about open world games because of what you mentioned and you referenced Jocelyn as well, where you have like clearly something important to do. And the open world is just giving you 30 other things to go and do to distract you from. 
Uh, and that was why I had asked how you were playing it because I, whenever I play these games, when I do the side quests, I always wish I had just stuck to the main story more. I feel like I would have gotten more out of the game storyline and, and narratively that way, that way. Um, but I do kind of enjoy the, the activities of the side quests at least. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. I, overall, I really like this. We, we talked about, um, previously the combat, uh, and again, just with this being third person as opposed to the typical third, um, what were your thoughts on the on how the combat works? Um, how did you feel about doing more? I, I guess I, I compared it a little bit to like Bioshock, except you only have three guns. Um, do you feel like that's kind of accurate for how things play out? Yeah, it, I I really appreciate how simple they've kind of laid out the combat because it's especially early on it's, it's it's basically like you have one power at the very beginning of the game which is sort of a wind focus and you can kind of shoot and uh shoot you know one at a time or you can charge it up and, and kind of do like a homing missile attack and um early on it's very simple but like it looks so cool like they've really nailed the effects for for this game and um Honestly, when you're fighting other enemies and, and you sort of whittle away at them and and you feel that impact as they're hit by mm. the magic sort of missiles, but like you're using your <laughs> you're using your hands to kind of shoot this shoot, shoot this magic at them. And of course, like the combat gets more evolved as it goes. You can kind of upgrade your abilities and such. But it really so from what I can tell, kind of sticks to about like five or six options. Uh, I've unlocked um, the fire missile, which is a little more it's uh, it, you have less ammo for it. It's kind of like the rocket launcher, but you, it's the mm. second we- third weapon you get. Um, but it it all, its chargeability just does this huge explosion. And uh, and then I think the I think I got the bow as well, which to me felt like it's the it's the magnum or or whatever like it's 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 limited ammo i forgot about the bow yeah because the the ammo is so limited i mean you can buy it (laughs) you can buy it at any convenience store just like in real japan no um (laughs) (laughs) it comes out of a a a vending machine oh do they have it in the vending machine no i don't know i don't know okay yeah yeah (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but yeah, you can definitely buy it from um, from any convenience store. But there is, you know, you don't always want to stop and go do shopping. I think you're capped at, what, 10 arrows maybe in the beginning? Yeah, um, it's limited. So it is like, very, yeah. I used them a lot, and then I realized, like, uh, I, I probably should save these for an encounter where, like, I honestly don't know, like, when when the game wants you to use it because it really feels like, they are powerful, but also slow in comparison to your other options and moving around and, and whatnot. There are certain, um, there are certain points where you're strongly encouraged to use it. And there are other missions where it benefits you to be stealthy. Um, and in those situations using the bow while outside, like, because if you go in and you use your, um, your spirit weaving, you're going to initiate combat. Right, everything. Um, but there are certain situations where you can pick things off with a bow before doing that. Um, I, I think that was when I found most opportune times to use it. Um, that being said, I found the lack of ammo to like, I'm, I'm terrible at survivor game, survival games for the same reason. Um, like the 
lack of ammo stresses me out. So I have, I'm one of those people that's like, I only have 10 of these. I'm not going to use them because if I use them now, I'm not going to have them when I need them. Um, whereas your spirit weaving abilities, it's not unlimited, but you recharge that very, very easily. Um, so I was pretty, I don't know, kid gloves with my arrow supply, I guess, but yeah, there are certain situations where it's beneficial to, to use them. Right. Yeah. And I, um, I guess as I was doing the combat, I, I really enjoyed sort of, because it kind of feels like you have these arenas and when you come across an arena, you can usually pick off one or two enemies stealth wise, depending on what kind of encounter you're coming across. And when you do stealth, you can do one hit kills on the standard enemies. I did come across a bigger enemy that uh, I think I took half their health, what appeared to be half their health when I did a stealth attack. But it was like very clearly like this is a sub boss or sort of a mini boss of some kind. And I I really think the stealth mechanics are very generous. Um, the the sort of um, uh, I, I don't know, like the, the UI shows you like when a character sees you, you get like a, a little bit of a blue um, sort of uh, ping that'll show you like or a yellow ping of, of like who's seeing you and, 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 and what direction they are. And, and you've got, you've, I felt like you had plenty of time to hide behind literally anything to reset that, that sort of view cone in the sense yeah. that like you could hide behind, you know, I, I just picture this like typical, like, Oh, I'm hiding, you know, my kids do it all the time. Like I'm hiding behind this, you know, this small tree is like, well, I can very clearly see you. That's not a big tree. You know, that's a sapling of, of or of some kind, um, you know, and you're still waving your arms <laughs> behind there. I can see you still. Um, but the game is super generous in terms of like its stealth mechanics, which I really appreciate. Like, um, and when you do, you know, pop out of stealth and, and all the enemies come after you, they give you a very generous, uh, what I felt like a very generous parry system where you can block at, like in this wind, this very large window, and cause the enemy to not only uh, uh, do no damage, depending on the type of attack, but they stumble backwards. Like this is very much because it's a first-person sort of uh, combat system. The design here is to make sure, like, you need to leave as much space as possible between you and the enemy, so that you can wind up your attacks. But like the design of the gameplay is is meant to be like, okay, every hit you do, every parry you do is going to send these enemies back a few steps to give you more opportunity. So you're not scrambling to to walk backwards constantly. Um, I really appreciate it. You can also upgrade your parry um, to give you additional ammo and things like that as well, Ooh. like every time you parry. So it's... Uh, I, I generally just try to stay away from everyone as much as possible. Um, so I, it wasn't something that I prioritized, but it is, um, if you do find yourself running low on ammo, uh, regularly as you're playing, that's something to keep in mind that you can always buy that upgrade ability. And then every time you parry, it'll give you like, you know, one or two charges back for whatever, whatever element it is that you're using. So that can be a, a helpful way to, to recharge your, your ammo as well. Okay, yeah. I did notice there's a lot of like there's a lot of skill upgrades for what you would feel would be like um they wouldn't you know, the design of the game wouldn't normally put like a like a like a skill tree into it, like parrying and and really like what it allows you to do is it it allows you to 
keep the combat moving. And I imagine like you're going to want to put in like skill points into the parry to, to get that ammo because I really felt like uh, if you use your, your wind spirit weaving too much, you kind of run out of your, that's your base ammo, the spirit weaving uh, wind, because the fire and water are very specific to specific um, encounters. Like water is more of the shotgun approach where it's got limited range, but a wide arc. And then the fire is more of like the, the rocket launcher of, you know, you, you can have distance, but you've only got five. You're capped at five at the beginning. And, and I, I really did. I've really enjoyed the combat so far. And, and honestly, like I, I'm still, I wish I was unlocking skills faster um, because it feels like there's a lot, there's a lot of like those base skills that can be upgraded. Uh, and I feel like, oh man, I kind of want to have more tools right away, but I appreciate that the game is, is somewhat, uh, it's combat is somewhat simplified because it is a first person combat game and you don't want to over overburden the player with options because you, you want it to be simple because you're already dealing with, you know, this first person view that is normally is normally kept for, you know, first person shooters. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I do appreciate that it's it's somewhat simplified. Yeah, I would agree. And just I, I guess to kind of like summarize or put a button on the how the combat works and those thoughts, like the first person view is something that initially put me off the game um, on release. So I was pleasantly surprised to to be able to try it on uh, on the plus plus service, but. As someone who's not great at first-person games, I don't play a lot of shooters. Um, I really, like Ryan was saying, appreciated how sort of forgiving the combat is and how it... Like, if you're somebody that plays a lot of Call of Duty or plays a lot of first-person shooters, you're not going to find this super interesting. Um, It's going to be... As far as the combat goes, like, it's not really complex it's fairly simple i think it's still enjoyable but it doesn't punish you or it doesn't try to make it like this is a game that's only accessible for for first person players so if that sounds appealing to you i would definitely say to to check that out or don't let the first person or or any of the combat put you off at all um and if you are someone that does do a lot of shooters, just understand that it's going to be simple it's not going to require you to do a lot of trick shots or anything like that you're not going to have a ton of different powers and abilities despite all the upgrades that we're talking about it's pretty much all variations of the same stuff and you can very easily just r1 your way um through the combat uh if you want so i i think um and again that kind of goes back to my earlier comments that to me the reason i really enjoy this game um and to me the reason why you would play this is it's all about the flavor and the experience like we didn't really talk about it, but the enemy design I really liked. Um, they're all they're they're spirits, but that you find some that are like empty clothing, um, and it's like there'll be Japanese school uniforms. Um, there'll be like salary men walking around with umbrellas because that's you know again that's kind of a thing in Japan. Like everything seems very well themed and put together. I think the design is great. All of the the hand gestures um, used for the spirit weaving. Um, I think the presentation is pretty excellent. Like I really enjoyed that. And we also talked a little bit about just how, whether or not it is accurate. Um, and being able to walk through Tokyo, it's pretty wild walking through Tokyo and having no people in it. Um, but also they really nailed a lot of details like the, um, 
the convenience store in the game is called, uh, I think it's Fujiya Mart. And it's very clearly supposed to be like Family Mart is in Japan, like down to almost the same font and color scheme. Um, when you're in the train stations, the trains look exactly how they look. There, there's very specific like color patterns that are used, like the yellows and the greens. Um, and it really does feel like feel like you're there. So if you're someone that's interested in Tokyo, if you're interested in Japan or just love that setting um, and you like open world games, check this out. Um, if you're not someone that's really big into open world games, um, but you are interested in, in Japan and the setting, that's kind of me. Um, so I would say check it out anyway, because I really enjoyed it. Um, if you're someone that plays a lot of open world games, I can't really give you any reason why you would play this over any, uh, over Assassin's Creed or anything else. Uh, it's gameplay wise. I would say it's pretty standard. Um, but it, it's just that atmosphere, uh, and the setting is, is what really, I think draws you in, or at least that was, that was my take on it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it also just feels different from other open world games that I've played in the past. You know, like I think that it is. As you said, it has that atmosphere. It nails it. Um, at the beginning of the game, you know, the, it defaults to Japanese voiceover, which I think is the is is a very cool way to play the game. And it's on by default because, uh, like, it, it it is a game made in Japan. And uh, I think we were talking about this in terms of the the VO choice. It just it it feels like it um, is a part of experiencing you know, the atmosphere and the flavor of the game and, and you get that emotion from the characters and yeah, you're going to miss some, you're going to miss some stuff because if you're reading the subtitles, like sometimes, you know, you might not be prepared to read or, or might be following the action a little bit, but I, I found it was, it was well-paced and, and I was able mm-hmm. to sort of keep up with it. So, um, I, I really appreciated all of the, all of the feel of the game. And, and again, it's, it's, it's so different from anything else that that i've played you know recently that it as you said the enemy design is so cool and the animation for um you mentioned all the animations for like the hand movements and stuff the animation for when you you are pulling the core out of a ghost is just i'm you know giddy every time it pops up because i love the way it looks it's so cool it's awesome yeah are you have you reached the point where you can do that in regular combat too rather than just stealth uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I, I think I did it in, uh, I've been doing it in regular, regular combat quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. And it's just like, you, you see like those, I call them ley lines, but I guess it's, it's just like a line of light between your hands and in the core of the ghost. And you can actually, it's just like weaving these strings together and tying them up to like pull it's like pulling it out with a rope like it's yeah. really cool it is so cool now uh i know we've been talking a lot about ghostwire tokyo but before we move on to the next game i i do have to ask because you you said you played it because and i know you were in japan and and you kind of kept us up on on all your visits <laughs> and stuff in in our discord chat so i'm curious like in terms of your trip to japan and playing ghostwire tokyo what was the most exciting thing to see in the game that you experienced in person when you had visited Japan. Um, if, I, I want to say a couple months ago, but wasn't it just last month? I, I time is moving so weirdly. Yeah. It, so it's yesterday was a month that I've been back. Okay. Um, so I was there at the end of March and the beginning of April. Uh, and then I came back on April 8th. Um, so as far as, 
I don't know. It's, I don't think there was any like one thing that was really, really exciting um, about the the game in particular, but just they just did such a great job with really everything overall, recreating that atmosphere. Now, I will say, like I did not while I was in Tokyo, I did not go to Shibuya specifically, so I. I can't say like, oh yeah, this building is where this that building is supposed to be or anything like that. But like walking through the train stations, like that's exactly what the train stations in Japan look like. Um, and again, like, I mean, they, they don't go so, so far as to make it like a JR station. Um, they keep everything pretty generic. Um, but even there's a, a side quest or something that takes place on one of the trains. And like I said, you're looking at it and I, I spent uh, a fair amount of time on on both like the metro trains in Tokyo and Shinkansen going across the country. Um, and the trains in Ghostwire Tokyo look like the predominant um, metro trains that you're going to find in Tokyo with the, like the green seat cushions, the yellow, um, you know, the, the yellow like hanging bars or whatever you call them to, to hold uh, all of those things. I mean, it's like spot on. Like it, it felt like I was back to some extent. And the same thing with the convenience store. Like they are everywhere in the game, just like they are everywhere in Japan. Vending machines are everywhere. Um, and the signage, like I, I actually thought it was a family mart sign at first until I read it more closely and I was like, oh, that's okay. So they, they're trying to avoid copyright issues with this. Um, so it's, they really did a great job of sort of recreating everything. And it, it's a stark there's a stark difference between like i said this is an empty version of one of the most populated places on the planet so there's there is that sort of eerie creepiness about walking through and being like why is there no one here like this this was that part was not my experience um but yeah i just i think it's a really faithful um very themed pretty fantastic recreation of what you would want it to be um, so I don't know if that really answered your question. I don't think I did anything that was like, you know, super no, you picked the whole game. Is what you on, did. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, I, I, that answers my question for sure. Uh, yeah. So definitely check out, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo. Um, you know, it's on game pass. It's on, uh, Xbox and PC game pass. It's on PlayStation plus plus. And of course it's available to purchase, uh, as well. Now, the next game we're going to talk about, and I, I will fully admit that I have not, um, this will be early impressions slash discussion of Darkest Dungeon 2. It did just launch out of early access, uh, I believe either today or, or late yesterday, but I've had my hands on it for a good couple weeks now. Um, I, I think a couple weeks uh, or at least a week because I received a, a code for this one uh, from the publisher and I... I want. I was really looking forward to Darkest Dungeon too because um, I loved the first one. Uh, what I was able to play of it because it was so damn difficult. <laughs> um, but I, I, I recognize that Darkest Dungeon two, like the coolest thing about it, especially from the marketing and such, was that uh, they had taken that style from the first one, which was a very, you know, iconic two D sort of drawn uh, 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 style. And they took that style and somehow magically um, applied it to 3D models, both for 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 everything, uh, uh, characters, enemies, landscapes, all of it. And they nail it 100 percent. The look and feel of this 
is Darkest Dungeon, but it's all 3D now. You're not move. You are. Well, I was about to say you're not moving in a 3D space, but you are technically, I guess, uh, moving in a 3D space. Um, so here's the thing: it's it's out of early access now. Uh, they have the 1.0 launch. It's now available on Steam as well as Epic. Uh, it was exclusive to Epic during early access, and the game is launched now. I think it's uh, it's fifty dollars Canadian, which to me seemed um, a little more expensive than than I think what most people are used to seeing for for these type of games. Um, you know, it uh, it being a uh, I'm sure there's lots of content in it. Like I said, I've I have not been able to finish the game yet. Again, see incredibly difficult, uh, and I'm bad at these type of games. Um, but uh, you know, it, it it is worth noting that it is a fifty dollar price point Canadian. So I think probably like forty something american i don't know if i have a, a easy way to check that but outside of my american co-host here who could who could pull it up I, yep i was just gonna say i'm pulling it up right now <laughs> okay there you go uh what does it say for you in in the uh in, down south of canada let's see my steam steam account is not letting me in so quick <laughs> uh quick google search it is 40 dollars us okay so around what i was thinking and you know what like I know that is uh, to me that is like a premium price for for uh, what, what most what would be as as consumers would assume like what it would cost like you'd probably place it around forty Canadian thirty American but but this is this is launching at a premium so you have to keep that in mind uh, and it wasn't early access for a long time so there was that opportunity at least on the Epic side to to pick it up at a at a at a smaller price point that being said. The gameplay, uh, from what I've played so far, they bring forward the the Darkest Dungeon VO guy. He's back. So, like, iconic voice. All the writing is super dour. Like, nothing good is happening in this world. Uh, anytime the narrator tries to say something positive, he, he also just dips back into this, but we're all going to die because <laughs> the Darkest Dungeon is here. You know, something like that. Um, or the darkest dungeon was inside of us all along, something like, you know, that sort of thing, just making you feel real good. Yep. <laughs> um, and like, so he's back, but the idea around the game is, so the combat from the first one, they've brought that forward. So the combat is, is going to be very familiar to you. If you played the first one, you've got four of your characters on the left side of the screen. You have four enemies, up to four enemies on the, on the right side of the screen, although some of those enemies can can be combined into one space. So you might have like a larger enemy and, and two smaller enemies. But essentially, they're working with four slots. And then depending on how those are taken up, they can be taken up by varying sizes of, of enemies. And it works the same way as the first one. There's a turn order and different... Um, uh abilities based on your position within your rank so you have like four positions on your side you might have abilities that can only be used while you're in the first two positions so it's more of a melee attack or you might have an ability that can only be used in the in the in the back row so that's more of like a ranged attack and and each character type has like different skill sets they might be a more frontal attack enemy like more of a a paladin or a or a or a warrior you know and um i think the biggest the biggest difference between these two games is that this one's more set up like a like a 
oh man, people are going to hate me. I know I just had Hat on the show last week and he would have been able to describe the difference, but is more like a roguelike where you have your character types that you pick um, and you start off with four. So you start off with the warrior, the rogue, um, uh, or the uh, the assassin. And uh, I don't know how the class t- types off by hand, but they are like the traditional darkest dungeon characters the the four you're thinking of if you played the first game they're all over the key art for the second game so you start with those four and um uh, like i think the first one you had you had characters that you recruited and it was kind of like XCOM. you knew you were gonna but you knew you were gonna lose them eventually because no one (laughs) no one survives forever in darkest dungeon but i think in the first one like you wanted to keep them alive as long as possible so that they got more powerful uh, and then you could do further excursions into the into the darkest dungeon. But the second one works a little differently in that you are doing these runs. Um, instead of delving into a dungeon, you're kind of like moving along like a like a path in like a stagecoach, which is the other big difference is this traversal mode where you're working your way through the game and um you you have these characters, so you start with four, but once they're all dead, you have to start a new run. So, and you don't, you don't get to carry forward any of those ability upgrades you found or, uh, um, you know, their, their items that they found, like that you equip them with those all reset. Now there is a currency that you collect that you can use to kind of like slowly upgrade your heroes, uh, within the between runs mode, but essentially like you start fresh, at least early on, you start fresh every run you start, um, so you're not like unlike the first one where it was saying like no you 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 do you are going to lose you know this one feels a little bit more like you are going to lose but when you lose it's kind of part of the game it's like if you have a bad run in Hades like well, it's not the end of the world you know you just had a bad run let's start fresh let's do it again you know that seems like such a huge difference between or at least between the way that I played the first one. Um, so there's there's no way to like prematurely end a run. You don't have an option to like stop to save your characters or anything like that. It's always just you either make it to the end or everybody dies. Yeah, you... Um, so there are... So there was a specific encounter I came to. It was an optional encounter and you could uh, you could delve further into this optional encounter to get more loot that was the only time in the game where you could like hmm. retreat from an attack. But again, like you were still on your run. You, you, you don't, when you end a run, it essentially like retires those characters and you start fresh. Um, and you start fresh with whatever characters you have unlocked. And that was the cool thing is like, as you progress through the game, you're collecting these, uh, I think they're called candles of hope. Uh, or they're candles and essentially you use them as a currency. Uh, that's the currency you use to sort of put into various different uh, upgrades to from unlocking characters to uh, unlocking permanent upgrades for those characters like stat boosts and abilities and such. Um, so like my second or third run, I uh, it, it unlocked the ability to unlock no, new characters, new character types. I should just call them characters because like, there are 12 characters in the game and as you unlock them, you kind of choose your starting run. But like if you lose a character, so I lost a couple characters in my, in one of my runs, but because I unlocked two additional characters, 
those two additional characters showed up at the inn further down within my run. So essentially a run kind of works like you start with four characters, you're in your stagecoach, and if you look at the video of the game running, you literally see like this stagecoach traversing down a path, and it kind of reminds me of the map in um, uh, Inscription, at least the first part of Inscription, where you're kind of, you can kind of work down this series of paths, and the paths all have different... Uh, sometimes you can see what's there. Like there's like a scout ability that kind of will give you a preview of what that sort of path will take. So sometimes there's a path that's like, uh, there's so much going on in, in this, in the stagecoach mode where like you can completely avoid combat. If you want, you can go away from all the barricades that kind of pop up once you get into more of a, of, of a, of a path that sort of like splits apart but there are other like um issues you're going to run across like you're going to run across uh uh damage to your stagecoach so like your your stagecoach starts with like two armor and two i don't know why it starts with two wheel power because there are four <laughs> wheels but i guess if you lose two wheels that that wagon ain't going anywhere um depends on which two right <laughs> <laughs> yeah like if you lose all your armor you lose all your 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 stagecoach wheel armor that doesn't like end your run it triggers a uh, an emergency repair so essentially like you're now a sitting duck being attacked so it starts a bit of combat and then one of your characters has to repair the stagecoach and it's random every time so like you might be counting on a specific character and a specific skill but then discover oh shit that guy actually has to like fix the stagecoach this time and you don't get you don't you don't have the option you just it picks for you at random so like it is different from the first game and i know a lot of folks especially in the steam discussions who really don't like change and i get that <laughs> personally I, I i i like when games change things up you know, and I, this is very much a change, uh, from darkest dungeon to darkest dungeon Two. the combat is very, very similar. However, the way you go about starting those combat, uh, encounters, it's a very different metagame. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's more of a roguelike or roguelite. Someone, someone in discord will let me know. Uh, but it is, um, so far, very fun because like i feel like i don't have to worry if i have a bad run because i'll i could just start fresh you know i don't have to worry about losing my favorite character because that was the thing in the first one yes you know you yep. could easily lose your favorite character to some silly reason like not even that character who you were protecting with all your life maybe another character you forgot to protect then he went mad and just killed everybody you know <laughs> Yeah, every and that's what I was so surprised to hear how this functions more as like you you don't worry about keeping the characters because that was kind of the whole meta game as you put it for the for the original Darkest Dungeon was trying to build up these characters, infuse them with as many positive quirks as possible while avoiding as many negative quirks as you can. That way, by the time you get to the end and you're actually going into the Darkest Dungeon, you have people that can actually handle it. Um, so this, the way you're describing it, um, and it may be also just me not having seen a lot of the gameplay as well. Maybe I'm not seeing all of it. Um, it just seems like it's a totally different, um, like you said, it seems, it seems more like it's a, a roguelite or roguelike, depending on 
where the difference lies than the first one, which had a, a bit more strategy involved. I mean, there was a ton of randomness as far as what happens to the character, but at the end of the day, you had some agency as far as like choosing who you brought with you or how, um, how to build up the Hamlet, um, to help care for those characters, to be able to eliminate negative quirks, um, and to set yourself up, like you could kind of have a, an end goal in mind as to like, okay, I know I'm going to need like two hellions and a crusader and, uh, you know, two hound masters to make it through the final dungeon. So what do I have to do for the rest of the game so that I have those characters built up at the end or, you know, whatever character combination you want to use. Yeah. Uh, whereas this sounds like it's a lot more like, yeah, there is no particular end goal. It's all about in the moment, trying to make that one run, successful as opposed to having that long term if i make this run successful then i keep this character and this character will have benefits um that i'll then carry to the end um so it's it does sound like a very different dynamic does it have any kind of um like a village or the hamlet i think is what it was called in the original like the town that you were building up is like is that phase of the game still present or is that totally gone now in darkest dungeon 2 uh well they they kind of they kind of bring the feel of the village forward with in between runs so when you start a new run you come across uh the altar of hope which is um and i might be getting all these names wrong because like i said i've I've, a i'm terrible with names b there's a lot of names going on here but when you start a run you come across the first area where you can spend these candles and that's kind of where the investment is but it is a it is it's one currency put into many systems and you can kind of like customize what you want to upgrade first like you might want to be like okay i want to build out the hellion all the way to max and i'm going to focus in on that uh but like you only have one hellion character you know the that you that you have on your run so whether you have them at the beginning or you find them at an inn later on once you've lost a few characters so like the persistent upgrades come from in between runs like slowly adding to the different upgrades and those upgrades can be character based they can they can be uh, unlocking new items uh, unlocking persistent upgrades for your stagecoach to your um uh, like there's so many different options there uh now while you're in a while you're in a run the run is basically like you're trying to get to the next sort of rest point, which is the inn. And that's where you can kind of like at each inn, you can add upgrades. Like you find items and artifacts to upgrade your stagecoach. Uh, you can find, you can also do like rests. Uh, so you can have like in items that you can use to basically like, okay, this person is struggling really hard with, some stuff so let's help them out (laughs) you know uh there's a whole like it brings forward like the stuff from darkest dungeon with uh you know the madness and the quirks both negative and positive and sometimes you'll come across events that like add like a like a like a question mark uh perk like you won't know what the what the perk is whether it's Mm. negative or positive until you get to the the end of that run that or that section and then you can kind of reveal it um, there are areas where you can, uh, you can heal and remove, you can remove a negative trait or you can like lock in a positive one for, for a specific amount of resources. So like 
you are kind of doing that village stuff throughout each run and you're able to like depending on what resources you get and what you're doing you are you are having to do it on a micro scale uh, instead of like a like a larger scale like you would in darkest dungeon you're doing it every run instead of like across the whole game so because because it's not persistent right so it's a lot more random and i know like that would probably that's probably upset folks who who liked to do that investment in the dark in the first darkest dungeon where you could you could kind of build it out and have multiple versions of each character type um and I did look at the Steam page. They it is a roguelike. They describe it as a roguelike road trip of the damned, which is like so. Uh, it's it's such a great description because, like I said, like it, it really revolves around these runs uh, in your stagecoach as you're working your way through the world, and you're dealing with like they've kind of crafted this whole other. They threw out the whole dungeon crawling aspect of the first one, where you were kind of moving across a grid. And you're actually like moving through this world in this stagecoach and you're coming across various obstacles and 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 things like encounters and and, and fights and 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 also coming across things where you can help people too. So you can choose to help folks and depending on who you have do the helping, that can it can have various uh various impacts on your on on that character or your other characters. And your characters can have relationships as well in the sense that like they can utterly just, I had this happen where like I had two characters, they just kept not getting along to the point where they developed this, uh, this relationship and it was categorized as envious. And what that did was every time I used a specific power of each character, it would add uh, a madness point to that other character. Mm. And so like it kind of evolves from there's just, there's even more randomness going on as you're progressing through that specific run. So you can see why you would want it to reset each time. Cause you're like, Oh crap, these two, these two characters hate each other. Uh, and that's, that's going to affect this run, mm-hmm. but it won't affect the next one, you know, cause it'll, it'll reset. So, but, but I can totally understand how folks might see the difference between the two and be like, Oh man, this is, this is a very different, it's got the gameplay. It's got the combat, but mm-hmm. it's a whole new system in there as well. And I mean, like, I don't know. I know it's a sequel to Darkest Dungeon, but it it feels like they've really taken that formula and, and tried a new a new take on it, which is kind of it's nice sometimes when sequels do that. I know I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I'm I'm enjoying it so far. And maybe because I, I was terrible at Darkest Dungeon, I don't think <laughs> this is easier. But I feel like it's there's um there's definitely I guess the stakes are lower because it does reset. I don't know. I know that would probably upset folks to hear because I know Darkest Dungeon was like beloved for how difficult it was. Mm. I feel like this one would <clears throat> would be a little bit more difficult for me personally. Um, and that's just because like I have a real aversion to this level of randomness. Uh, mm. I like, I, I really, so like on one hand, I really want to check it out because I loved Darkest Dungeon so much. But a big part of what I loved is all the stuff they changed, like, <laughs> um, or from what it, from how you describe it anyway. Um, just I, I loved having, like you said, the 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 micro and the macro of being able to like plan. How do I make this run work? But also like, what's my end goal? How do I get to the like? I being able to set the path to the end of the game and sort of strategize 
all of my upgrades around that and in building my party and uh and while you can build the party um there's just it, it's so different the thought of like like you never wanted any one run to go badly in in darkest dungeon because if it does it can throw a real wrench in your entire plan and you know set you back quite a bit as far as your end game strategy but i liked having the ability to to create that strategy whereas here it sounds like there there's so much more randomness as far as what characters will join you and when and every time like you might be thinking like yeah i got a hellion but that might not be the hellion you thought you were going to get because it's not the same one you had last time so it might have some other it might hate the crusader behind it and that might just derail your <laughs> entire thing um and that that whole thing like that just oh i feel like i would have a really hard time with that yeah. <laughs> but that's that's me personally not not so much i mean i i'm uh, i'm happy that they're trying something new and i probably will check it out at some point um, but I can kind of see both sides of it for sure. So hopefully, um, hopefully it does well. I, I like to see, um, indie games do well, particularly, um, a follow-up to a game that was, you know, very special to me. I've played it all the way through a couple of times, um, and I've really enjoyed it each time that I've played it. So I'd, I'd like to see, um, uh, Red Hook, I, I, I assume it was still Red Hook working on yes. it, um, but I, yeah, I'd like to see them be successful. And if nothing else, um, the, the narrator is pretty great, even if, <laughs> even if it is a bit grim. Yeah. And, and this is the other thing too, is like, I know I really love how roguelikes lately have been really, really leading into story. And I felt like in darkest dungeon, there wasn't like a whole lot of like story presented to you. It kind of just kind of unfolded. And then there were moments where there was a little more story that kind of unfolded. And again, it could come back to the fact that I was terrible at the game, didn't get far enough. So correct me if I'm wrong. But in this one, um, it feels like the story is is much more front and center. As you progress through a run, uh, you are not only unlocking the overarching story, but you can find these um, specific locations across your runs where you can choose to progress the story of one of your characters and what I thought was just like a little skit that was playing out, like a little cutscene. The first one was, uh, but the second time I progressed the story for a character, it actually had gameplay to it. And you were playing through a scene uh, of this character, which introduced you to a new skill that you were unlocking. So, so furthering the story for a character, like choosing to further the story for that character when you get to a specific point in your run, unlocks more skills for that character type. So like they kind of like took the idea of like, okay, we want to make darkest dungeon in a roguelike. So let's find a way to kind of like make all of that work, having like all the punishing mechanics and the story and, and the combat, but fit it into this roguelike scenario. And, and I know, and again, it's different. It's different from the first one. And if you wanted darkest dungeon two to be literally the same game, with some new characters and new mechanics and whatnot. Like that's, it's not that there are a lot of things they bring forward, of course, but there's a lot of stuff they they've changed. It is a roguelike, um, that stage, the stagecoach thing. I think, you know, some of the concerns of the stagecoach being like more slow. Like, I think it, I think that is just folks like not, not wanting it to change. I didn't think it was that slow. I felt like there was a lot of mechanics that were popping up that made it interesting or kept it fresh with each run. But, you know, this is like the first 10 hours. Let's see what the, you know, 
because I know Darkest Dungeon was played a lot. Like, I want to play more of it and I want to bring it back on the show once I've had more time with it because uh, I'm not very far and I haven't unlocked all the characters yet. Um, but like, I think, you know, there's more characters in this one. There's a lot you can do, uh, but it is different from the first one. So you got to know that going in and you will know that right away when you, you know, you watch some of the trailers and see the media with the stagecoaches and, and how sort of this like road trip part of the gameplay works. Uh, it's still got that same old darkest dungeon, uh, combat. So they have not ripped that out. They've kept that. And to me, that was like a big part of the first one, but the look and feel is so great. The music's awesome. The narrator is just like perfectly <laughs> dour. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's, it's got everything going for it. It's, there's a change. It's a change from the first one. Um, and I did want to know, I did not play it on steam deck, even though I have it on steam. Uh, the Steam Deck support is coming. It's something on their list of uh, of what they want to do, which involves adding controller support. That's not there right now. So yes, I've been playing it with a keyboard and mouse. I have survived. Uh, but uh, another thing to note, especially if you like to play on multiple devices, cloud support has not been added yet. It's something they're working on like right now. So uh, keep in mind, if you do have multiple devices and you want to start this game, Start it on a device you're comf- you're most comfortable with because it could be a while. Bef- it could be a bit before they add uh, cloud sync, which, you know, I'll fully admit, I don't know the aspects from a developer standpoint, but for me, like, it's kind of like it's it's an expectation, I guess, when I play a game on Steam that I'll be able to sync my saves. But it 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 is something they have to implement, um, uh, in a game. So that's coming very soon, and then Steam Deck will be followed uh, shortly after. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's Darkest Dungeon 2. I will, I will bring it back on the show, uh, once I've had a lot more time with it, because like I said, I've just scratched the surface, but, uh, yeah, check it out if you're interested. Before we move into the news though, uh, Travis, uh, we are going to break our cardinal rule of, uh, not talking about Extra Life until the fall. We're going to talk about Extra Life in the spring. What's going on? That's, I mean, that's pretty close to what we did last year. And I it think is that true. was, that was my f- first time on the show or second time on the show maybe i, f- I forget um was to announce the uh starting the extra life campaign um so i'm not aware of anyone else on the tgi team who's started but if uh if they have i apologize if not i am going to be kicking off my stream and uh, the the tgi campaign next friday um that is may 19th um, so we're going to be streaming similar. Last year we did Elden Ring all the way through. I did Bloodborne, and then at one point I did Stray. Um, so I think we're going to stick to a similar format. Going to do some long plays um, where I do you know two nights a week until the games are done. And we're going to start with Jedi Survivor, which I have not played yet. Um, so I'm very excited to uh, to jump into that. Supposing that I can um, clear enough space on my hard drive to to actually fit the game. Um, <laughs> I think it's what, it's like 150 gigs or something. Yeah, something crazy uh, like that. It's pretty beefy. Um, so I'll be, uh, that's what I'll be doing for the rest of this week is just clearing out everything on my hard drive so that I can make space. Um, but yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to start uh, Friday. We're going to do Fridays um, or Tuesdays and Fridays with the first stream again being May the 19th at eight o'clock. Um, I'll be on Twitch at Pixel Mountain Gaming. 
Um, you can also, if you're interested in, in contributing or participating, doing any kind of donation, um, you can find me on the Extra Life page. Uh, again, it's Travis Mountain, or um, you can probably search by the Twitch page there as well. I'll get all those links up and running. Um, but yeah, we're going to start with Jedi Survivor. I'm going to have some fun incentive goals. Uh, again, last year I was I did like a hair dye thing, a uh, hair dye challenge or whatever, posted pictures on all my social media, posted in the Discord if anyone wants to check that out. Um, so we're going to do that again um, as a $500 goal for the team. Um, if, if my streams do $500 combined, I will do hair dye and post pictures again. And this year I'm going to take it one step further as well. Um, I've been talking to Ryan and some other friends about it. And if, uh, if we manage to do a thousand dollars through my streams, I'm actually going to go ahead and get a tattoo, which I will take pictures of and also post on social media. So all of this again is benefiting children's miracle network. Uh, and I in particular am playing for Boston children's hospital. Um, so that's the plan. We're going to get started, uh, started in about a week and a half here. If you have any other games you want to see, let us know. Um, I'm also adding incentives, donation incentives, um, like $100 donation. You can pick whatever game you want, and I'll stream it. Um, I'll try and do as much as the main story as possible. Um, I don't have time to do like Persona 5 uh, <laughs> on stream like that. So like, let's let's be reasonable. But if we're doing, you know, any like the From games we can do, um, if you want to see me play one of those, uh, $100 donation gets uh, a guaranteed stream and I'll play as much as the, the main story, if not all of it, um, as I can do. Um, taking other suggestions and things like that. But uh, yeah, excited to go. Um, and any other smaller incentives you guys want to see? Um, you know, I have a, a small donation incentive to wear a particular cosmetic for Cal anytime. Like you can pick his hairstyle or lightsaber color or anything like that Ooh. for a small donation. So any kind of little things like that you guys want to see, I'm open to suggestions. Um, but again, just, uh, just to give you those locations one more time, uh, it's Pixel Mountain Gaming on Twitch and Travis Mountain on, uh, on the Extra Life website. And again, we'll... Um, we'll get those links posted for those things as soon as possible. Yeah. And if you go to uh, bit.ly slash TGI extra life, 2023, you'll see the team roster there. And Travis is, is in there. Uh, we've also got myself. I haven't, I haven't done anything yet. I haven't gotten any donations, but uh, Josh cook is in there and he's, he's got, he's got a, he's got a good couple donations in there. So again, like we're, you know, extra life runs as soon as it ends December 31st, it kicks back in like a week later. So no longer is it all about um, just game day. And uh, let me be the first to suggest, since you didn't, maybe you mentioned it and I missed it because I was I was too focused on the joke. But uh, the tattoo is just going to be uh, me my, me smiling with with a big old thumbs up. That's the tattoo, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's that's definitely going to be it. All right, I'll send you over a draft <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> uh, we'll get it scoped out. Now, where where are you getting the tattoo? Is it going to be like? It's like an arm thing. Like, how's that work? <laughs> I was, I was like, where, like, where on my body, or where, what location? <laughs> no, no, I don't even know. <laughs> like, like, what specifics? Do you... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, at the moment, I, I'm thinking probably arm. Um, uh, and this, this will be my first. Um, supposing we hit the goal. So that was kind of the thing. Like, I've never been against it, but I've never really had a reason to do it either. Um, some of those things have changed. I've found some things that are, I'm a little more passionate about. And this seemed like a good opportunity to, um, to one, to like push me over to the edge to actually do it, but also to, to be involved for a good cause. So at, at the moment, I'm thinking 
um, probably on my, like my upper arm, um, like bicep shoulder area, but, um, <laughs> your pictures, pictures that will get posted, um, will be safe for work, I guess. Is <laughs> well, no, one, I assumed it was arm easy or, way to say that. <laughs> or leg. I guess they say the leg hurts the most, like depending on where you get it. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't have any tattoos. I know, I know people who, who do have tattoos and, it, it, like I think it's super cool, and I I would be one of those folks that like would have such a hard time determ- determining what I tattoo uh, onto my body that I would be like I wouldn't be able to decide. So I struggle to decide. I would have breakfast sometimes, uh, which leads me to having probably the same thing every day for for months, <laughs> and then I realize like oh my gosh, I need to mix this up. Um, but yeah, no, that sounds really cool. Definitely go to bit.ly slash TGIXLife2023. Uh, check out Travis's stream. Uh, donate to a great cause. And uh, make Cal uh, wear a ridiculous uh, outfit slash uh, hairpiece. I can't believe you didn't say ridiculous hat uh, after last week. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I could. I had an opportunity. Missed opportunity. Well... Like- yeah, you you can only I see. Like I said, my brain was just so focused on making the joke that you get a tattoo of of me making a goofy, goofy face. So on, on my face, yeah, that's no. <laughs> like, let's let's be, not gonna go not gonna go that far with it. Let's not be too ridiculous here. Uh, well, here's the thing. Let's uh, let's thank our patrons. Uh, thank you so much to our patrons at Patreon.com/slash The Gamers In. Want to thank our May patron Tyson. As well as, uh, you know, it's it, it must be that time of year. We've we've lined up our June patron as well as our July patron. We had uh, a Smiley Chris uh, jump in uh, as a patron. So uh, we've got shout outs for the next couple months set up. But you can always join in and we can we can give even more shout outs. So patreon.com slash the gamers in uh, it super helps the show. It, it, it helps us buy games, pay for hosting that sort of stuff. So we really appreciate all the support. And uh, that brings us to the news. We have a couple of quick stories and a couple of stories that are probably going to uh, initiate some pretty good conversations here. Some discussions, if you will. Now, speaking of discussions, there's going to be a change on Discord happening very soon. And that is the uh, username change that was detailed last week. And essentially what's happening here, and there's, you know, there's some like, rumblings of what this could really be but at the end of the day uh, it, uh usernames on discord are going to be unique uh right now you can choose any username that meets their uh, uh terms and conditions uh even if it's chosen by somebody else because it adds a four digit code to the end of it that is randomized to ensure it is it is unique um discord obviously has been around uh since 2015 so they say a lot of the issues from you know adding friends comes from what's the code what's your code not just send one to at you know ryan or whatever it has to be at ryan four digits so like the the change here will allow you to be able to like on twitter say oh follow me at and not have to have a bunch of numbers however it does introduce the issue of like are you going to be able to get your preferred unique username and the way they're going to be doling this out is they're going to be starting from uh, the the early adopters to, you know, the most recent uh, um, people who have signed up for Discord. So, like, 
to me, this feels this is a good move because I, again, it'll make it easier for you to tell people where to find you on Discord. But that also leads me to think that uh, this might be yet another company deciding to um, uh, uh, do a Twitter, be a Twitter, not do a Twitter. If you were to, if you were going to do a Twitter, it would not be great because Twitter's not doing so hot right now. But if you were to be a Twitter, now's the perfect time to be a Twitter. You know. What do you think about these uh, these changes? Are you excited to have um, a, a, the possibility of maybe having a public facing profile on Discord? I mean, to be to be perfectly honest, the TGI channel is uh, it's the only Discord channel that I'm really in. I mean, it's the only one you need, right? I mean, where else are you going to? True, go? it's the only um, one we're allowed to mention on this show. There yeah, are no other servers, really. Right, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I, I guess I'm not I'm not too concerned with it. I mean, I always hate registering for something new because it's like oh now i need a i need an xbox name i need a playstation name i need a switch name or whatever it's like i'm out of names man i don't want to have to keep coming up with all this stuff or trying to unify it or what do i do if somebody has my name on another platform so i don't know i see this as uh, i'm hopefully most people won't care but there's definitely going to be some sort of like you know concern or a rush of like i have to get my name in before someone else gets it because we're all doing it at the same time now and uh, i did kind of wonder if there's going to be like a godaddy.com that just reserves a bunch of discord names that people have to buy now or how that's <laughs> going to work um but yeah I, I mean i'm sure it's fine i think if it makes um as someone who's not admittedly a big user of discord um nothing outside of the tgi channel uh, I can't really speak to it, but if it makes it easier for people to find each other, then I suppose that's probably a positive change. Um, at the end of the day, it's just another uh, AOL screen name or gamer tag or whatever. So uh, it's not going to have a huge impact on me, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, um, you know, if, if you take the blog post at face value, it is, it is to assist with both the, you know, friending situation, but also like will help them on the back end as well to to have to not have to worry about these numbers. And I think with Discord Nitro, you can actually set those numbers yourself as well. Like you can change them to whatever four numbers you want. Um, so, you know, it, I think this this improves their their situation from a technical standpoint, but but also allows them to expand into other other areas as well, because I mean, Discord has really. I think in their last year if not the last two years, they've they've done a lot of work to expand upon what was a very basic implementation, not basic, but a very working implementation of like text channels, voice channels, you know, direct messages, these calls. Like I remember when we stopped using Skype and moved to Discord for recording podcasts, it was like the best day ever, you know? <laughs> so it, it just, I... I am I I think we could see them run with it and I think for their expansion ideas like having unique usernames helps a lot especially when you when you move to maybe offering more public facing uh avenues into Discord so like profiles or or what have you. Uh but uh another quick story here and this is a follow up from a story we did last year in that uh esports are or maybe earlier this year I don't know it's it's all kind of blending together but um the the uh, Olympic esports. So there was the idea that Olympic esports were like a bunch of games you never heard of, and then like maybe I think Gran Turismo and virtual chess. You know, uh, but they announced just this week that Fortnite is now going to be an Olympic esport. Uh, 
which comes five years after the IOC, IOC actually uh, criticized um, that they would never have quote unquote killer games uh, in the Olympics. Um, so yeah, Fortnite is is going to be coming to to the Olympics, and they're going to do like a big marketing push. Uh, you know, they're going to have like a, an Olympic zone that everyone can sort of explore, and you know, it it kind of seems like maybe like because we we talked about it earlier like the olympics they need a win pr wise they need to bring in more viewers (laughs) they need to bring in more more folks that are checking in on it and what better way than to to engage with the marketing machine that is Fortnite? you know yeah i mean i think i think if we're going to add games to the olympics or really any major platforms like that um, it, it's important to have games like Fortnite um, and not have it just be a bunch of games that no one's ever heard of and chess. Um, you know, if we're if we're going to do this thing, we we should do it well, right? You know, like have things that will draw attention. Um, I myself am not a Fortnite player. Uh, I acknowledge it's it's very popular, and if if the goal is to bring games to a more mainstream audience for on one hand, and then also increase the audience of the Olympics. Um, it seems that the way to do that is probably more something like Fortnite um, as opposed to, I don't know, Final Fantasy 2, for example. Um, <laughs> but that's uh, that's just my take. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think um, I think it's a good choice if we're going to do that. Um, it should bring in new eyes. Um, and it, uh, I mean, my goal with all of this, and I remember when Blizzard was... Um, doing heroes of the storm and they made the whole big push to do heroes of the dorm and get that on, I think it was ESPN two or one of the ESPN channels. Um, you know, everyone took a lot of heat for video games being on ESPN. Um, but I was always just a big supporter of that in that one, um, you know, it's helping kids pay for college, which is obviously a good thing. Um, but also it's trying to add some legitimacy to the video game industry. And I think that anything that we can do to make it more mainstream, make it a little less taboo, um, anything that can make video game do, do for video games, what the MCU has done for comic books, um, I think is a positive thing. So hopefully this will be a step in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I think it was a matter of, it was only a matter of time before, uh, the Olympic esports kind of looked at some of the games that we consider to be, mainstream esport games you know like fortnite league of legends even overwatch uh you know starcraft that sort of stuff so um this is uh i think a step in the right direction and i think it's a very good uh change of tune from from the ioc in terms of the esports stuff so uh we'll keep an eye on that and i think that stuff starts actually this summer so uh we'll have more to talk about very soon um Another quick story here is that Nintendo is saying no new Switch hardware coming this year. And of course, everyone says, but next year? Question mark? Maybe. <laughs> it, Maybe. Uh, it seems like... So Nintendo is basically saying that Switch sales are slowing down. They don't see... Uh, they see themselves struggling to keep momentum going during its seventh year. Uh, the Switch has been around for seven years and... They've had various hardware revisions with the Switch Lite and the Switch OLED and then various special uh, uh, collector's editions for the Switch OLED and other other variations. I mean, Nintendo's very good at selling the same system over and over again just by, you know, putting some Zelda on it, you know, uh, or Pokemon or Mario. 
So <laughs> they, they, they sell a lot of these systems. And of course, you're going to hit a, a limit, right? Eventually. Um, and at least Nintendo is sitting here saying, yeah, we're in our seventh year and we're, we're probably going to see a dip this year. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of agree with most folks and that like this, this is probably, you know, this is probably them saying like, you know, be prepared for a new switch, like without them actually saying it's coming. But I, I think it, I think we're due up. I mean, seven years, that's a long time. Yeah, for sure. And the, the thing that I always default back to with the switch again is they were, they're already behind on hardware. They were behind on hardware before the series X and the PS five released. Um, so now we've talked about, we've had these consoles for two, two and a half years now. Is that right? That's crazy to think. COVID time just doesn't yeah. make sense. Two and a half years, yeah, because they launched in twenty late twenty twenty, right? Yeah, I think I think that's right because I think I bought mine in in May of twenty one, and it's it's May of twenty three now. So that would be about two and a half years since um, you know since the initial release, I guess. So if we're that far, if we're at least two years into the new console cycle, and they were behind the previous console cycle. Uh, as far as processing power, hardware, 4K possibilities, and all all these other things, um, you have to think they're just, they're struggling. I mean, as well as they've done with optimization and bringing in uh, third party games, having them ported for the Switch and and running at least well enough on the Switch, um, Jedi Survivor is not running on the Switch. Uh, and it's they have to be getting close to a point where they're going to need to be able to to do something like that if they want to continue um, to keep up with some of these third party games, um, and and even um, and I say that with the utmost respect to first party titles and games like Fire Emblem that just released that play and run perfectly fine on Switch. Um, so that's not a knock for anything that Nintendo is doing. I just have to think that at some point. Um, the the running on the same hardware that they were running on seven years ago would OLED aside um, will have to catch up with them soon I would think so hopefully we'll get something soon here I when the OLED came out I was a little surprised that that was not a super switch so to speak um, so hopefully like you said um, maybe next year hopefully we'll hear something soon but um, Nintendo has some great IP I'd like to see them um, you know have more powerful more powerful hardware to support that yeah yeah i mean seven years is pretty long even by nintendo terms you know and i and i think they don't want to repeat the wii that uh really struggled um to get across the finish line towards and then and then ran right into the brick wall that was the wii u so i think they want to continue the momentum of the switch with whatever the successor is and i think this is uh them acknowledging that you know, switch sales will, will slump like they norm like console sales normally do when you're exiting a generation, right? Cause you know, the next thing's coming. Obviously Nintendo has, has not announced the next thing and, and Hey, if it doesn't launch in 2024, I wouldn't be surprised either. Cause Nintendo is very good at just, uh, <laughs> taking their time. So yeah, we'll Nintendo see. Nintendo is going to Nintendo, right? That's one thing we've learned is they're just, they're going to do whatever they're going to do and they don't, they don't care what uh, what anyone else has to say about it, uh, including including Phil Spencer. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Which brings us to our big, uh, I'd say big story, but it's like it was it's sort of following up from 
last episode where we we talked briefly, Ridiculous Hat and I, about the Redfall reviews and how it was being poorly received. It was it's is not by any means living up to what a first party title should be at launch. Um, and I and I did say I remember saying like Phil Spencer is going to be on some interview show and he's going to give a very candid response and it's going to generate articles and like like he does. Uh, I really appreciate that Phil Spencer will give those interviews and and give you know frank answers and and he did a he did an interview not not a couple days after on um uh uh kind of funny games uh X cast I I don't watch any of the kind of funny game stuff although I'm very aware of them you know being a lot of X IGN folks but they had uh, Phil Spencer on the show and he he talked uh, pretty openly about how Redfall was received. And there was some, some really, uh, obviously he, he personally apologized for um, the, the state of the game. Uh, and, and he knew he was going to be answering these tough questions. He didn't go into the, the X cast saying like, Hey, we can't talk about this, this, and this. It felt like everything was on the table based on what they were talking about. Um, but uh you know, they talked about how their internal reviewers, you know, actually scored the game, you know, double digits higher than than its Metacritic currently has. It's been a lot of jokes about how Microsoft needs new internal reviewers. Uh, <laughs> so that all aside, like there was some other interesting notes here, which I know you and I talked uh, throughout the week about and how, you know, the biggest quote being that uh, there is no world where Starfield is an 11 out of 10 and people start selling their PS5s. Talking about how how is Xbox going to compete with the juggernaut that is the PlayStation? Um, and Nintendo doesn't even compete. They 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 do their own thing, as you said. Nintendo has gone into Nintendo. So, like, how do you feel about this statement? Like, obviously, it doesn't make you want to buy an Xbox, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, I, so first off, I. I just want to second your opinion that like, I really appreciate um, Phil's willingness to get on and, and give these sort of frank answers. Um, I, I work in the corporate world. I work in uh, NIP and software and things like that. So I'm used to things being kept very close to the vest. So it's, it's really refreshing. And as a consumer, um, I appreciate having messaging from someone that has a, a bit of weight behind their statements, kind of telling me what, what I should be looking at from, from Microsoft over the next year or two years, the rest of the console cycle, et cetera. Um, and I do think he handled the questions very well. I watched the whole, um, the whole X cast, uh, podcast, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he was, he was very straightforward immediately coming on, uh, you know, they're like, how you doing today, Phil? And he's like, it's been a tough week. You know, like he just was very straightforward about all of it. Um, but he, he answered some tough questions and gave a good talk about, um, you know, what goes into the decisions about when to release games and things like that. So if you're interested in any of that behind the scenes kind of stuff, um, granted, it, it's coming from Phil and not, you know, specifically the, the dev team or whatever. Uh, it is interesting perspective, and I would I would recommend checking it out for that. Uh, with the caveat that it was a tough week for Phil. So it is kind of a rough interview to listen to. Um, but you're right. I think the most interesting comments came at the end when he, he when he had said uh, about Starfield being an 11 um, and how that wouldn't make people sell their PS5s. 
Um, and I feel like I should preface all of this by saying I don't own a Series X. Um, I do have a Switch. I have a PS5. Um, and I have a laptop that will run most Microsoft games um, through Game Pass. So if something comes out, Microsoft, that I really want to try, I can get Game Pass for a month and and play it on my PC. And knowing that, um, and I, I say that to sort of establish my perspective, that I don't feel like I need an Xbox console. Um, and to kind of piggyback on that position, nothing Phil said in that interview did anything to change my mind uh, or to give me confidence that I should buy a, a an Xbox console at any, any time in the near future. And I understand, um, kind of where he's coming from, like making great games, isn't going to fix all of their problems, but I do think it's an important step. Um, because, uh, and Ryan, you'll have to forgive me. I don't remember if you mentioned this specifically, but one of the things that he cited was we lost the worst generation to lose. Um, because when the PS4 and Xbox One came out, that was the generation where digital libraries started to be established at the consumer level. So now in addition to the hardware issues, um, you know, competing at the hardware level, is the PS5 stronger? Is the Series X stronger? Are they pretty much the same? They also have to contend with people having existing libraries that are carrying over from the previous generation. And a lot of his comments were were kind of just like... I, he didn't say this, but to paraphrase, paraphrase, it was, we're so far behind that making great games isn't going to catch us up. Um, and like I said, th- those are my words, not Phil's. I'm not trying to say that that's exactly what he said. Um, and that comment, his comments about Starfield kind of frustrated me a little bit because I agree, Starfield is not going to make people sell their PS5s. But if you make if you make great games, it might make them go out and buy an Xbox in addition to whatever they have. Um, that's kind of what happened with me with the PS5. Is I skipped the prior generation altogether, and I ultimately went with the PS5 because of The Last of Us, because of Spider Man, because of primarily Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, those exclusive titles that I couldn't get on the Xbox, that I couldn't get anywhere else, that pushed me to the PS5. Um, if Microsoft had more of those, um, that I am interested in, perhaps I would have considered the series X more strongly, or perhaps if Starfield was a game that I was really looking forward to, and it is an 11 out of 10, maybe I would then go, um, go buy an Xbox to have that experience because, while I agree they, they are behind, and if they're having trouble keeping up with, with Nintendo in their seventh year of the Switch, in addition to uh, Sony, um, to me, it, it all starts with the games. I mean, it's not going to make all their problems go away. It's not going to make people get rid of their existing console, but you got to start somewhere. And if you want to close that gap, you're going to need to have an experience that people think is worth having. Um, and if they can get it elsewhere, there's not a lot of incentive for them to look at Microsoft for that, um, for that solution. Um, but that, that was kind of my take on it, my opinion. Um, what, what do you think, Ryan? How do you feel? Well, I agree with you in that, um, games make the, the purchase, uh, a lot easier to, um, to make, right? Like when it comes down to it, the reason you buy a Nintendo platform is because of Nintendo games. And that's been the case since the GameCube for multiple generations even generations where Nintendo wasn't even on the podium. Like I think the Wii U uh, is one where 
there were some great Nintendo games that came out for it. But that was an example of like, yeah, great games aren't going to make the system sell. You have to have a, a system that is also going to appeal to consumers. And I think when you look at the Xbox offerings of the Series S and X, um, those are great offerings and give you options. Unlike the PlayStation, which is PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation 5 without a, a, a disc uh, drive, like those are options as well, but you know, not as not as varied as as what Xbox has. And and I think, I think like what like what the headlines pull out and I was being unfair and pulling out that one about Starfield. He did say it, but like, I think Microsoft has to look at what they've done with their services and actually be like, okay, they've changed the way folks look at games these days. Cause now it's like, is it on game pass, which has prompted their major competitor to offer their version of a game subscription with PlayStation plus extra and premium and all that the various tiers that's in direct response to game pass having an effect. So like when he says like we're in third and we'll never catch up, it's like, well, you are, you're still in the game because you're causing changes. And I think that's where um, I want Xbox to stick around. I want Microsoft to keep trying because competition is important. You know, uh, without competition, we wouldn't have some of the features that PlayStation five has like, their subscription services and and say what you will about subscription services. I know that's not a thing we really enjoy to pay for, but like it's it's options. And I think that's what Microsoft's really focused on is and maybe focused a little bit too much on in that it's just basically having as many ways to play as possible to bring in more consumers, more folks that may not have considered gaming, but now think maybe there's an avenue for me through uh PC game pass on my, on my windows machine or buying a series S because I don't have a 4k television or I don't need it to look as crisp as it should. You know, I think there's a lot of interesting notes here. And I, and I think like the day that Phil Spencer isn't head of Xbox is, is probably a, a very, very bad day for Microsoft in the gaming industry. Like I, I think without him, you lose a lot of, um, this approachability that that I think Xbox has, like when you look at Microsoft, it, like it what it's not it's not this big fun. It's not even I wouldn't even think of Microsoft as a fun company, you know, to approach in 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 any avenue without Xbox, you know. And I think I think Xbox is is a is an important part of of what Microsoft is offering. But you're right, like if they can't sell consoles, they have to look at other ways to be a part of of the video game industry and i think they've done that with game pass they've done that with with cloud gaming and i do think if starfield is a 10 out of 10 game it's going to sell xboxes because it's easier for most folks to buy an xbox than it is to build a brand new pc (laughs) that's very true i yeah i hope so um i mean this there's part of me that this hearing these things and having, having these issues come up now kind of brings me back to the old console war days with, with Sega and Nintendo. And I, I hope that doesn't happen here. Um, you know, to the extent where, you know, Sega's not making hardware anymore. Um, and a lot of Sega's titles have been acquired or licensed and are now published by Nintendo, Sonic and Mario at the Olympics and 
and things like that. Um, and I, I think you're right. Like, I don't want to see Xbox go away. I don't want to see Microsoft's presence diminish. Um, so I, I hope they can figure it out. And I, you know, I, I said it earlier, but I, I do really appreciate Phil's willingness to talk about it. Um, and I, and I hope they can figure it out because the, the competition is good, but not only that, like you said, the options are good. I love the value proposition that, um, that Xbox was, was offering with game pass. And I only say was because now Sony has decided to piggyback on that. And at risk of sounding like a Sony fanboy here and admittedly not an Xbox owner, um, the, the Sony service is very good. Um, that that's my honest opinion of it. I mean, it's, we've gotten some new games. We got some have gone away. I personally have already bought a lot of games that were on it, like the, the Spider-Man and Miles Morales, um, when they were on it for a time, but there are really good titles on there. Um, and I think, um, I, if it's not already, it's very close to being a rival for game pass as far as what the service offers. Um, the big difference obviously being the day and date. Um, first party titles, but then you also run into the, the argument of, you know, how many, how many of those are there is the volume of those enough to swing your decision one way or another. Um, so I hope their market share doesn't decrease or, or diminish to a point where it's problematic for them. Um, I'm very much in support of what they've done with game pass. I hope they can keep that going. I hope they can continue to provide more, um, more options to everyone. Cause what I've, I've said when I've been on this show before was when this console generation started, we had Nintendo doing Nintendo things and that's fine. And then Sony was clearly backing the big, you know, your, your last of us titles and your final fantasy seven and your big blockbuster first party experiences. And then you had Microsoft offering great value with, with game pass and day and date releases on, uh, on their titles, even though there weren't quite as many of them as, as Sony was, was touting at the time. Um, so as a consumer, it was easy to look at that and say, which one of these consoles suits my needs. Um, and, and I like that sort of parody. I, I like that we're not fighting over which one is stronger and that we're fighting over, or not fighting, but we're making the decision based on what actually suits my, na- my needs as a consumer. And the more options we have like that, the more ways we have to bring games to people, the better it's going to be for the industry, the better it's going to be for consumers. And again, maybe we can we can like I said earlier, be like the MCU a little bit here and try to find ways to push gaming into being more, more accepted as this mainstream thing that it is. Uh, and people can appreciate the industry and, and the art of, of what's going on here. So um, uh, while I'm not an Xbox owner, I'm definitely an Xbox and Microsoft supporter and I would like to see them succeed. And I think it would be good for the industry and consumers as a whole, um, you know, the more success that, that they're able to have as well. Yeah. And it it is so easy to compare them with PlayStation because I think that they are from a game's perspective, like releasing video games is, is the key component to being in the video game industry. It's not just about making hardware um, and services like they like Xbox is still competing directly with PlayStation in the sense that when a new third party game comes out, it's pretty much a lock that it's going to be on Xbox and PlayStation unless Sony is paid for some sort of exclusivity, you know? So they're still on level playing ground 
from a third party standpoint. So I, I don't think Xbox is going to go anywhere, but I, I think you could see them have, uh, you, you have more of a straightforward approach to hardware as we see a successor to the, to the series X. Like I, I don't think, um, I don't think we're going to see like a, a wildly different approach from either side, you know, PlayStation or Xbox. Like, I think we're in the, we're in the stage where they're not going to do the Nintendo thing and have like a unique sort of piece of hardware. They are going to have a PC in a box or in the case of a PlayStation, a, <laughs> a very different shaped PC, but like, you know, the, the Xbox, the, the series S and the series X, it, it is just, it's, it is a, PC in in a smaller box and they even brought forward the dashboard from the previous generation so like they don't they're not doing a lot of this you know necessary like not even necessary change Sony feels like is necessary change when they when they switch a generation a whole new UI a whole new way of purchasing games and all that fun stuff so like I I think Xbox will continue to exist I think we're just um I feel like we will get to a point where games start to release but it feels like it's taken even like longer than the Wii U did <laughs> to start releasing games. Like we were trying to figure it out. And it's like, in terms of big first party releases that, that feel like on the scale of what PlayStation is doing, you, PS5, you've had Horizon, God of War. Uh, 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 there's others that I'm forgetting. Those are the two big ones that come to mind. I'm, I'm trying to think of um, other ones that kind of, felt like a big uh, a big launch but like xbox really has had you know i guess halo infinite and 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 that's kind of been it uh since since a couple years ago so you know but there are a lot in the pipeline that but that's the problem is they're they're still in the pipeline they're taking quite a bit to to craft so we'll see what starfield does we'll see how that's received and and i i kind of disagree i i agree with Spencer, I think his statement that will make people sell their PS5s. I know if people, if everyone sold their PS5s and bought an Xbox, that'd be a double win for Microsoft because they're, they're then buying their box and their games. But really what I think what will happen is if Starfield is really well received, it will sell Xboxes. But like it will sell some Xboxes to people who also have PlayStations that don't want to buy a PC, you know, because Starfield is xbox exclusive it will not come to playstation yeah and i wonder that might be a case too of of phil's candor um getting the better of him a little bit like i i don't want to take that quote too literally like i i don't think he's actually expecting people to sell their consoles or anything like that um i wonder if he would have you know if he was a little too off the cuff there and might might in hindsight wish he had True. phrased that a little bit differently um but yeah i mean my hope for them is that there is still sufficient resources and significant resources being put into into development of of the games themselves i think his point was we need to do more than games not we have bigger problems than games and we need to find a new gimmick instead um, which is kind of how it came off for me. It was like, we need to look at the new, the new service and focus on that because games are a lost cause for us. Again, he didn't say that that's kind of my takeaway. Um, so I wonder if in hindsight, if he would have said that a little bit differently to, to have it not come off quite so defeatist or at least yeah. how it came to me. Yeah. I, I think the argument is also like, 
PlayStation just has a better pipeline. They've set up these studios that uh, are now working in, you know, uh, a tiered way where like, okay, this is the year that Insomniac releases their game. This is the year that Gorilla releases their game. This is the, the year that Sony Santa Monica. And I think Xbox hasn't quite gotten there yet. They haven't set up the the pipeline, but they talk about, you know, another game that was announced a few years ago avowed they've been playing builds of that he likes what he sees so but i agree with you like i think he's he's answering these questions truthfully and and he's just and yes he created a headline there (laughs) you know but i i think it's it's how he's feeling about xbox in the moment and he is the head of xbox so like what he says you know it means something and i'm sure he's going to go back to the team and they're going to talk about you know some of the things he said and and i believe redfall will be you know it, it, it could be a great game one day it's just going to take time and and we'll see how long i've not played it i know some folks have have speaking of defeatist said like no there no amount of polish is going to fix that game <laughs> but i really feel like you know a lot of the stuff i've heard from it, it sounds like a little bit of polish will fix that game you know uh so we'll see what comes of it but i i think starfield will be very good it'll be a it'll be a It'll be a bright spot for for Xbox, and um, I'm sure we'll we'll do very well. Mainline Bethesda games do well. They've been selling Skyrim for over a decade, so I think I think Microsoft will be fine. Uh, and I just that you mentioned Bethesda, and I not to totally derail the conversation, but with with Ghostwire being a Bethesda game, um, I have to say I'm really impressed with the lack of bugs because um, you, you always think of like Skyrim and what what kind of crazy thing is going to happen in a Bethesda game. Um, so I just feel like I should mention that I had a, a like totally bug free playthrough. Um, and Bethesda did a did a great job in that regard. <laughs> yeah. Now, and and that Bethesda publisher, I think the studio's Tango Works. Oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. It, which that, you know, they're still a, they're still like Arcane. They're still a, a part of Bethesda. So, you know, and Arcane had Deathloop, uh, which was received very well, launched on PlayStation because of a deal, and um, and and but but was very much is still a Bethesda slash Microsoft game. So like. I, I I think that Xbox will continue to have great third party support and will have uh, first party titles. And, and, you know, this is only two years into uh, a generation that started very differently from other generations, like during a global pandemic. So, you know, we are getting I'm not trying to make excuses for for Xbox, but I think I think in a year's time, hopefully we'll be having a different conversation. I know that uh, PlayStation has been pretty good at releasing like two huge games a year. That's kind of in their pace. Um, so we'll, we'll see how things go, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I want to see Xbox continue. I want to see them continue to, to try new things. And I'm, I love game pass. Uh, and, uh, I think it's a great service and, um, we'll see what comes of it. We'll see what comes, uh, with Starfield. I'm looking forward to it and we'll see how, phil spencer does we have a big showcase coming up i thought we'd have to wait it's kind of good that they got they got this interview out of the way before their showcase in june this interview would have been real bad at the showcase like, that's not- <laughs> yeah. yeah it would have been a tough conversation to have yeah. during the hype reel right <laughs> like i i think that um get this get this out now and then you know when you have 
your showcase in, in June. And I know they're still trying to close the acquisition uh, of Activision Blizzard, which which probably might not close by end of June now that they have to appeal in the UK. So, you know, they still they say they're still very much committed to that acquisition. And yeah, let's be honest, them owning acquisition, Activision Blizzard, uh, acquisition Blizzard, uh, will help them in bringing more exclusive games to their to their consoles. I know they say like Call of Duty, yes, will continue to exist on other platforms, but there are going to be some exclusives that come from that. It won't be Call of Duty, but let like let's be honest, something will be exclusive from a studio acquired by that deal. Um, let's not, let, let, you know, but we know that uh, they've they've shown that they're. They're capable of of uh, taking big games and making them exclusive. So, um, but I mean, you know, that's kind of where we'll have to end it. There, uh, kind of a, a a big show tonight, but we had lots to cover. So, um, you know, I'll say this: if you want to continue the conversation, go to bit.ly/tgi/discord. Join the Discord. Uh, I know we've been bringing up a lot on this episode. It is a great spot to engage with the community as well as your hosts that are on the show, myself, Jocelyn, and um, our guest host, Travis, which brings us to that point. Travis, where can folks find you on the internet? Yeah, so you can find me uh, on, <clears throat> excuse me, on Facebook. It's just Travis Mountain, uh, or on Instagram at Pixel Mountain Pop Art. That's mostly an art page um, for some of the pixel artwork and digital color work that I do. Um, or if you happen to be in the New England area, uh, I'm going to be at KidsCon. It's a Comic-Con f- geared for kids on Saturday. Um, that is in Concord, New Hampshire on Saturday the 13th. So feel free to come by and see me there live. Or, of course, the TGI Discord, as uh, as Ryan mentioned earlier. Sweet deal. All right. Well, look forward to uh, more conversations as well as that. Uh, I, I, I always enjoy seeing the pixel art that you're preparing for your shows. So definitely post some of those in the discord and show those off uh and what's what's the you know uh what's the top character you're working on right like that you're going to showcase at the show yeah so video game related i just finished um portraits of ellie and joel from hbo's last of us um so i took actual like photographs from the show and worked with that um and uh well i mean i can post them in the discord so people can see them but um, did pixel art versions of those. And I did one of the Mandalorian as well, just this week. So those are kind of the three new, um, excuse me, big new pieces that I'm hoping freshen up the table a little bit for the new, um, conventions this summer. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, well, you know what, that's going to do it for the episode this week. You can visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find Jocelyn at Joss plays myself at r murphy and don't forget to follow at the gamers in for show updates thanks for staying at the gamers in remember tune in next week where i believe we're gonna have a new zelda game to talk about so uh yeah look forward to that thanks everyone bye everyone yeah.